there really is no restraint except for yourself. You know, if you just go out and do it, what's the worst that's going to happen? I love that. And, you know, I think, I think, I don't know if Richard Branson originated the quote, but I saw a, a little thing on Instagram or somewhere that said, say yes, then figure out how to make it happen. Right. And I think you just, you've illustrated that for the listeners. And it also kind of goes with my mantra, which has always been for back when I started my first big company was fake it till you make it. And not in a, not in a way that you're lying or you're doing things in a, in a less than integrous way, but just like you said, Hey, can you do radio ads? Yep. Can do it. And you just go figure out how to do it. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Well, welcome to another podcast. I am the real Jason Duncan, and I'm glad that you've joined us. Thank you for spending a little bit of time today with me and my guests learning about how these successful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. I've got this theory that there are five keys that every entrepreneur has, has used to unlock their success. And I developed this, this theory over years of casually interviewing very successful entrepreneurs as I grew up uh, as an entrepreneur myself and, and developing a successful multi-million dollar company and then developing a coaching company and starting to talk to more entrepreneurs. I started seeing these keys started showing up every single time. And uh, I thought it was important enough to start this podcast, The Root of All Success, and interview top entrepreneurs just like who's on the show today and ask them about how they got to success. So this whole show is for you as an entrepreneur, as an aspiring entrepreneur, to learn how these other people did it because the keys work. The keys work for everybody. If you got the right key, you can unlock the door. And so these keys we talk about on the show are exactly what you need to unlock your success. Now we shoot this, we shoot this video. So if you're listening to this on Spotify or iTunes or any of the podcast players, thank you for listening. Please go and, uh, and leave a review. If it's a five-star review, great. If it's not, email me. Let's talk. <laughs> I want to see what I can do better to make it better for you. But we also do this on video. So right now, for those of you listening, I'm looking right at the camera and this is actually out on YouTube on my YouTube channel. It's at youtube.com slash C for channel slash the real Jason Duncan. So if you go look it up, the youtube.com slash C slash the real Jason Duncan, you can watch this episode and you can see me and all my glory and my guests and all their glory too. We were talking pre-show about uh, when to pick our nose and, uh, and adjust ourselves. And we do that when the other person's talking. <laughs> but we're shooting this in the uh, Matador room at the Standard at the Smith House here in Nashville, Tennessee. The Standard is one of the top five cigar bars in the country, an amazing steak restaurant, private club here, and I'm privileged to be a member. It's owned and operated by the one and only Joshua Sterling Smith. He is the proprietor of this 18,000 square feet of Southern sophistication and style. And if you ever come to Nashville, you gotta look it up. You gotta come here. You don't have to be a member to come have dinner, just make your reservation. And then if you're really nice to the wait staff and say, could I take a look at the club? They might give you a little tour of the club. And if you look me up, I'll be happy to have you upstairs. We could have a cigar, a glass of bourbon, whatever it is that you like to do. And I uh, would love to meet you and connect with you. Now for the episode sponsor for today, I've got a question for you. So our sponsor, I'm going to talk about it in these terms. You probably have a website. If you don't have one now, you're going to have one at some time in the future. And it is very likely that you're not the website designer or a website designer. I know I've got several websites for my different businesses and uh, funny story, I, like my first business I ever started was a website design company back in the mid nineties, but that's a whole nother story. But I am no website designer, even though I, that was one of my first companies. The problem is your website designer, whoever did your site probably is MIA or isn't returning your calls or 
they've out of, they're out of business or it was some single shingle person who now no longer does that and you can't find them. You need to get your website updated. Well, I want to tell you all about a company called One9. They completely eliminate all of those issues. They actually personally manage my website. One9 is a company that does everything you need to secure your website, host your website, back it up hourly, monitor your website, and they offer all of this unlimited for a small, flat monthly fee. So I, I really recommend it. So you've got a website, so if you need it one design, they could do that. But I'm just talking about if you have a website, you just need it monitored and updated and secured and hosted, they can do everything. And I tell you, when they took over my website, I had a pretty good website, <clears throat> but when they took it over, holy crap, man, it, it, they, they raised the level, it looked better, the links worked. Uh, I didn't have the problems with third person versus first person, how I talked about myself on the website. They fix all of that stuff and it looks fantastic. Here's how you get in touch with One9. You go to managemywebsites, that's plural, managemywebsites.com slash root, as in root of all success. So managemywebsites.com slash root, and you will save $600 a year on end-to-end -end website manage. That's updated and managed for a low monthly fee. You will not regret this. One9, thank you for sponsoring today's podcast. All right, so that's, let's get on with the show. Um, my guest today, who's sitting across the table from me here in the Matador room at the Standard, is a Nashvilleian and uh, graduated from a local academic magnet school here called Hume Fogg. He also attended uh, the, the uh, University, of Knox uh, University of Tennessee in Knoxville, UT. Go Vols. He majored in marketing and finance. He's an avid aviator. He flies helicopters, airplanes, jets, you name it. And uh, that's, that's all exciting and fun. And he's also even a multi-event triathlete and has competed in several triathlons across the Southeast. And that's something about him I didn't know before the podcast. And he was recently recognized on, in the Nashville Business Journal as 40 under 40, one of the top 40 under 40 here in Nashville. And when he's not running his multiple companies, he's a husband, he's a father, he gives back to his community as a fully commissioned law enforcement officer and canine unit director, which the canine thing is going to come up a lot in today's show. And he's a board member for Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is also a fantastic organization. Got to meet, uh, I can't remember, what's the name of the guy that started Make-A-Wish? He passed away last year. Yeah, got, he was at uh, that event. That's yeah, right. I, got to meet, I got to meet him. I was lucky enough to get him to meet him. But, but all that being said, I want you to join me in welcoming the great Ali Hamyari. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, Welcome honored. to the Standard. Pleasure, pleasure's all mine. Honor to be here. Thank you for having me, Jason. <laughs> well, I, you're welcome. And I want to tell, I want to tell everybody how when I first met you, and I, I don't think I've ever told you this story. So there was this uh, business, uh, it, it's no longer, it's been bought out, but there was this business networking group here in the Nashville market, and uh, City Current now is the name of it. And by the way, if you're in Nashville or Memphis, you should look City Current up, it's a great organization. But the company that they bought out, it was that company at the time, and there was an event at the Bridgestone Arena. We had a breakfast event, and that was the first, I think it was one of the first events I ever went to. And here's what, in my brain, in my brain it was, okay, it's all, executives, it's business owners, it's, it's high level people. And there's three or 400 people at this breakfast or whatever the number was. And I walk in with my team and I'm, th I'm wide eyed, like this first time I've gone here and here comes Ali with a dog, <laughs> with a, a really badass looking dog. And I'm thinking, what, it, what is going on here? Wh who is the guy with the dog? And that was my first introduction to Ali. And then since then I've learned you ain't just the dog guy. Like there's, you are an entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. So tell, tell everybody a little bit about how you got started in entrepreneurialism and then we'll weave all those dog stories and all the other stuff in. Yeah, sure. So I think the root of uh, my entrepreneurial start was in high school. Back in high school in the nineties, the cool thing was to have these big subwoofers in cars, mm -hmm. right? Those, those cool stereo systems and people would take them down to like SEMA auto shows and blast these decibels, see how loud that they can make it. And I was in high school installing those subwoofers and those amplifiers and those stereo systems in other high schoolers' cars for 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And um, at the time I worked at Circuit City, so I had some training and on the side I had this little hustle as a high school kid, you know, on top of playing sports and doing academics, I was like, oh, there's an opportunity to make some money here. And uh, so it was less than what a Circuit City or Best Buy would charge. And 
I don't know if I was as good. <laughs> I was definitely not insured, but um, I made a little bit of money and that was really the start into it. And in college, I started a few businesses and then post-college, I started a few businesses and it just grew and grew and grew. So uh, I have to ask, because I was, I was one of those kids too that had the big subwoofers and I had, uh, I had, I remember having, I had a 19, what year was it? I think it was an 83 Chevrolet Celebrity. That was my first car. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wow indeed. Uh, we've come a long way. But I remember taking the spare tire out of the trunk and then baking this wooden thing to fit over the spare tire and cutting two 10-inch holes and had Rockford Fosgate punches and my whole <laughs> yeah. trunk would rattle brr, brr, everywhere I'd go. So you were the guy installing those two. I, yeah, and it, I had a Volvo 240DL, so it's not oh. that much better than your, Sounds your celebrity. <laughs> so I got this Volvo with the, this crank sunroof because that's what they did back then. They didn't have power ones, or I couldn't afford a power one. And I had these big 212s in the back and here I am pulling up at Hume Fog, which is right across the street. Uh, we had to pay to park, right? Because there's no parking for the school. So we had to pay to park, and I'm pulling out blasting Dave Matthews Band, <laughs> thinking I'm the coolest kid in school because I got these awesome subs, loud bass, and it's Dave Matthews. And all my friends are just, oh my God, what are you doing? Oh my gosh. So you now, uh, you, one of the things that you're most famous for, at least in my eyes, because when I met you, I don't know how many years, six, seven, eight years, I don't know how long ago it was, sure. is that you are Nashville canine. Like that's your main thing. So I know you probably have a different perspective about what your main thing is and how you make money and what's going on. But tell, tell me and tell everybody else, why dogs? Like what happened for you to get into dogs? Because here's what I know about you. And I think the listeners, to give a little bit of context, is that you have one of the premier dog training like in the country. You train high-end dogs. You sell canine dogs to, to or, or donate. I don't know how that works out, but you train those dogs for canine use. You also train private protection dogs. So this is not just, hey, send it down here to the kennel and let's, them, let's let them tell Fido how to sit. This is much higher level. So how did you get into dogs? Like what, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, so when I was in college, I had this Doberman. And I wanted to be, you know, I was young, I was, uh, I had a lot of vinegar in me and I wanted to go and make this dog, this ultimate dog. And so I joined a working dog club in, in Knoxville and every Sunday morning at 7.30, while all my friends were hungover, I was running tracks on dogs and I was learning agility and obedience and things like that. Um, so I, I gained a good knowledge of working dog training there and this was, I was probably, 20 years old, 20, 20, 21 years old. Um, that after that, at the same time, I was running a business that was an advertising company and it took me into New England and I was running this hotel chains marketing campaign. So I went and started cross training up there with some working dog guys. When I moved back to Nashville, um, what I was doing was I was trying to find a club or something where I can further my skills or even a trainer. And there were a couple trainers that were out there that had a higher skill set than, than me, but they were reluctant to teach me uh, because they thought I was going to become their competitor. At, at, that, at that time, I was a suit. I, I started working at AXA Financial, and, and I wasn't looking at being a, a competitor. I just wanted to better my skills. So I kept getting the Heisman from all these people. <laughs> hey, no, we're not, we're not going to teach you. So I, I started my own working dog club, Nashville Working Dogs, and it attracted a lot of Metro police officers, Metro Nashville police officers, and a lot of just public that were looking for better training. And, and we would meet twice a week and we started training dogs together. And after, after all the trainings, we would all go out to eat. And that was just kind of the ritual that we did. And most working dog clubs, they, they do that same kind of thing. Well, a couple of times people would ask me to stay after to help them with their dogs. He said, well, we'll buy you dinner. And I said, oh, yeah, no problem. All right, so we'd stay an extra 20 minutes, work with their dog. So were you charging them before? I wasn't. It was oh, just so, a club. So they were just buying you dinner. That was they how just, they were paying you, huh? And that's where the light bulb went off. Oh, there's a need. And so I said, well, there aren't that many working dog trainers at a high level in Middle Tennessee. Why don't I start a business that revolves around personal protection dogs, police dogs, and search and rescue dogs? So we launched Nashville Canine in 2005. Well, in 2007, like everybody else, the market took a dump. And that affected both the wealthy people that could buy personal protection dogs from us, as well as municipalities. Municipalities' budgets were just as, as harmed. 
And so we opened it up to the general public and we said, hey, we can take anybody's dog. If we can take a dog, train it to SWAT level, we sure can take your little frou-frou dog and teach him to sit and lay down. And we, so we launched it out to the general public and it quickly grew uh, to now one of the largest facilities in the nation. We train upwards of about between 300 to 700 dogs a year of just consumer pets. That's not including the working side. And uh, we have an enormous over 15,000 square foot facility in Franklin. And then four miles down the street, we have an enormous working dog facility that spans over seven acres. It has its own gun range, two dog swimming pools, helicopters laying in and out of there to do all of our working dog stuff. It's really, really neat. That is amazing. Well, I know that, I know that, um, you know, the first time I met you, you had the dog with you. And that is a big part of who you are, but it's not the only thing. And, and training is certainly not the only thing. There's so much more about dogs. I think you've got, uh, you, you've now started other businesses in the pet or dog space. You want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah, I think that the pet industry is a booming industry. And you've seen the shift as a consumer where the big companies like Mars and Nestle that fathered basically candy companies are now in the dog industry. So for example, Nestle owns... Merrick and Purina and Proplan, and Mars owns brands like Pedigree. And so that industry has just skyrocketed. Well, we wanted to be the first to set the bar the highest. And people that usually are looking for high-level dog training don't have the time during the day to meet for an hour once a week, eight to 10 weeks, and hope they get results. So naturally, they commission a company like ours where we take on their dog, we do all their training, we turn them over a finished product. Well, with that, it basically uh, treed out to all these different uh, verticals within our brand. So we also do commercial shoots, dog talent. So if you've looked at a lot of tractor supply commercials or print ads, a lot of those dog commercials and print ads are from us. Um, a lot of the country music videos, Dan and Shay's Nothing Like You or Florida Georgia Line Sunday's videos, all the dog talent that's in there was, was from us. So, you know... Along the way, these verticals grew. So we have the commercial side. Then we started getting into, well, a pet taxi. We need, I need somebody to take my dog to the vet. I don't have time and I don't want to waste the time waiting in a, in a vet office. So basically we have an app where you go on your phone, you say, I need my dog to go to the vet at this time on this day. And the car magically shows up, picks up your dog. And it's a canine outfitted vehicle. It's got the same kind of cages police use takes your dog to the veterinarian, brings them back. And if you're really highfalutin, we put them in an Escalade. And the Escalade ferries them off to the vet and brings them back. And so a lot of these ideas came inspired based on need. And recently, we are on the brink of launching a new kennel management software that's a point of sale system as well for veterinarian offices, for pet resorts across the nation, for dog trainers, where they can manage all their dogs in their facility. They can manage retail sales out of it. You know, things that have simplified by people that are actually in the industry, not a bunch of geeks sitting behind a computer thinking this is probably what they'll need. Yeah. And so as we continue to evolve, more things will continue to launch. So now you've got, you've pretty much touched everything that a, uh, the pet, the pet people would want to deal with in terms of training, kenneling, vet, you know, veterinary care, et cetera. What about, like, how did you get into, to, I, I, my assumption is, before I ask that question, my assumption is it was because you were working with so many police officers. But one of the ways, one of the things I was surprised about and learning about you when we first became to know one another is that you are a fully commissioned officer and you do work with canine units. I assume that's how you got into it. But there's there a more story to why you got into uh, deputy work or police work? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Uh, I think that credibility came getting into law enforcement because that opened a lot of avenues that people were not privy to. For example, somebody can say that they're a police dog trainer. Well, where are they getting their heroin from, right? How do you know how to train a police dog unless you, you are a police officer? How do you go and sell that to the admin unless you've been in their line of work before? And I entered in law enforcement to help my business. That was the start of it. It was really to add credibility to the business. It wasn't just because I really loved it. Now, I've grown to love it, though, and I've worked in a lot of facets of law enforcement. I'm a SWAT operator. I'm a sniper. Um, I've, uh, I've worked in the court system. I've worked interdiction, uh, school resource. I, I've done a lot of different aspects in law enforcement. 
But originally the mission was, how do I build credibility for this business and be able to sell more dogs to law enforcement municipalities while gaining a deeper understanding of what they go through every day? And that helped put it in perspective. Now, in fairness too, Jason, I was single. I didn't have a child. You know, I was all the way. I was working a job and then I was doing police work at the same time. So I was basically working two jobs and grinding it out. But it gave me a skill set and opened more doors for me that I just wouldn't have had as a normal civilian dog trainer. Yeah, it helped prepare you for even more success later That's right. with Nashville Canine. So now, though, you've got you've got Pet Taxi, you've got Nashville Canine. What what are the names of the other companies that you? So we met? have Coach Fido, which Coach Fido is amazing because Coach Fido is an online training website. It has over six hundred dog training videos on it. So if you're sitting at home and you're worried about COVID and the germs are out to get you, you can go to coachfido.com, you can watch over 600 videos, and you can get that dog from zero to hero in no time. And why we created that was because not everybody can afford a board and train, or emotionally they may not be apart from their, want to be apart from their dog for a board and train. Some people just like to do it themselves. Well, this is a way of them getting high-level training by people that are training several hundreds of dogs a year, not the YouTube hack that's doing this with 40 dogs a year, right? So our experience level is much higher based on volume. And we wanted people to have an affordable resource to be able to do that. And we rolled it out nationwide. And now it's even plugged in internationally too. We have some German clients, some French clients. It's really neat. But it took about three years of grinding with the production company following us around, being in our face at any given time, filming blooper after blooper because not all dogs are going to pay attention, just like humans don't either. And uh, to make that many videos, I think we're at 670. That's a lot of filming. A lot of filming. In this Coach Fido, it's coachfido.com, C-O-A-C-H-F-I-D-O.com. I spelled yes, that right. Correct. So. People could go to that right now. A listener who has a dog or wants a dog, hey, I want to train my dog. They could go right now and get that, right? That's how they do it. That's correct. Do, is it is just a set flat fee? Is it monthly fee? How do they do that? Yeah, great question. So there's five packages, okay? And of the five packages, two are for working dogs, three are for consumer pets. They can choose to pay for the whole year in advance or they can pay monthly. If they pay for the whole year in advance, it unlocks all the videos immediately. If they choose monthly, they get to watch 10 videos a week. And little by little, they get to earn um, and build on that. The working dog videos, basically what we did is we took a compilation of high-level trainers from all the way around the world. It wasn't just limited to Nashville Canine. So we got a great high-level German trainer who's won the World Series of uh, dog sports over there called the Bundesliga. The sport's called Schutzen in Germany. His name is Tobias Olenek. And Tobias is on so many videos over here. We call him Tobias. I call him Toby. Uh, but... Toby has been a great resource with us too, but if you wanted to take a normal dog and make them awesome at home, improving the quality of life, which is ultimately our mission, it's not just about sits and downs, it's how do I improve my quality of life, go to coachfido.com, pick one of the three packages. If you have a dog that you're thinking, well, I live in the middle of nowhere, I don't have access to a working dog club, but I'd really like to see what tracking is like, or I'd like to see what agility is like. Then you can choose the other two packages. And it's very inexpensive. In fact, we have a great deal for listeners of the real Jason Duncan. Yeah, so if you want, if you have a dog and you want to do that, we'll, we'll do a short little uh, interjection here before we go on with the rest of the show. But go to coachfido.com slash root. And uh, Ali has agreed to give all listeners coachfido.com slash root. You get 10% off any of the packages there. So thank you, Ali, for offering that. And, and, and when I think, too, about this story – is that you started with just, hey, I'm in college and I've got this Doberman and my friends are out you know, doing what teenagers do. I'm going to actually have fun and, and do something productive and train my Doberman. And now you've become a super successful entrepreneur based on those passions that started in your college years. And, and not only did you just train, now you're training thousands and tens of thousands of other people around the world following success. So let me ask you a question about success. Um, you know, I know you fly helicopters and jets and you've got an aviation company. I mean, there's a whole lot, told me a lot of layers to Ali and I love it. So, but as six, you know, if we talk about success, cause that's the name of the show, how would you define the word success in your own words? I think that successful people do what unsuccessful people don't. 
I think that's, that's a good definition. So every year I'm invited to Cumberland University and I teach uh, a, a short couple hour class in an entrepreneur class that's led by Professor Jackie Cowden. And they always ask, you know, what are some fun things or, or what do you do that's different that, that everybody else? And when I think about successful people, I think about top producers, whatever field they're in. If they're athletes, if they're musicians, what does it take to get to that point? Um, and I always make this funny joke and I talk about the word impossible says I'm possible. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that if people get comfortable being uncomfortable, that's when success happens. You're going to fail. You're going to accept it and move on. And the moment that you can come to terms with that and work hard at it, you'll prevail. And a lot of it has to do with God, too. You know, uh, I mean, we're spiritual people as well. And I think that that's been a lot of the direction of the path, opening doors, praying on it, sometimes making uh, mistakes against what our inner voice has told us and then falling in those holes. You should have known better. But the grinders out there are the successful people. I think there's a misunderstanding with the younger generation nowadays that you can be Instagram famous or you can be the next Mark Zuckerberg or Mark Cuban. You know, these people, while they're wildly successful, are truly anomalies. You know, that, that doesn't happen that often to find somebody like that. Your odds are probably greater winning the lottery if you think about it. But what can you do and what can you control? You can outwork everybody around you. That's, that's a given. I still do. I was up at 4.30 this morning. I'm usually up at 3.30. I was sleeping in to 4.30 <laughs> to go hit the gym. You know, and, and I just don't know a lot of people at my age that are doing that. And, and so the more comfortable you, be, you are being uncomfortable is going to open a lot of doors. Ryan Seacrest said it great too. He said, I always say yes. And, you know, there was a time where Ryan was doing everything. American Idol, he was hosting everything and because he, he always said yes. And I feel the same way. I feel like there's opportunities out there. Seize it. Just say yes. I, was, uh, I have a cool story. In college, I started this advertising company with a buddy of mine. And we started with these newsletters. We lived in a college apartment complex called College Park. And basically, we were like, let's create newsletters, and we'll go down to all the bars and restaurants. We'll charge them 100 bucks to be in this newsletter. We'll stick it in everybody's uh, mailbox at, at the apartment complex. And this apartment complex probably housed about 3,000 students. And uh, so then we would go to these bars, we'd collect our $100, and the bar owners would be like, hey, do you do radio ads? I'm like, of course we do. We knew nothing about radio ads. And so then we were like, oh man, we gotta go find out how to do radio ads. So then we started doing radio ads. Then somebody else would come and be like, do you do billboards? Of course we do billboards. We landed this contract with this club called The Rush Fitness. And it was a spinoff of 24 Hour Fitness. The CEO was, his name was Larry Gurney. He had a big billionaire investor. And um, so we started working with them. We did all their t-shirt printing, all this stuff. And, and it just led, to more and more opportunities because we couldn't say no. Now, were we dumb kids and didn't know any better? Probably. But it taught us a lot about there really is no restraint except for yourself. You know, if you just go out and do it, what's the worst that's going to happen? Right? I love that. I love that. And, you know, I think, I think I don't know if Richard Branson originated the quote, but I saw a, a little thing on Instagram or somewhere that said, say yes, then figure out how to make it happen. Right. And I think you just, you've illustrated that for the listeners. And it also kind of goes with my mantra, which has always been for back when I started my first big company was fake it till you make it. And not in a, not in a way that you're lying or you're doing things in a, in a less than integrous way, but just like you said, Hey, can you do radio ads? Yep, can do it. And you just go figure out how to do it. That's right. right? You just figure out. And, and so you have become, at least based on your definition of success, a successful person. But do you consider yourself successful? Always ask yes. Do you consider yourself a success? I, I consider myself successful, but consistently learning. I'm not, I've not learned at all. And I'm still learning, and I'm still making mistakes, and I'm still failing, and I'm still winning. And, uh, and I think that that's the mission for anybody who wants to really be an entrepreneur is that when you think about like a corporate person, they're 
trajectory is this slope that's upward, right? Little by little, it's upward. You know, if they work hard, they can climb that ladder and they, and they can be successful. And the, the slope of the entrepreneur is not like that. It's like a step, a fall, a hole, then it goes up a little bit more. And then so when you go to wrap all of this up into a company and you want to sell it for a multiple, an EBITDA multiple, then you can't even show them this awesome, like, oh, it's smooth sailing all the way up. It's like, oh, no, I had that set back two years ago and I had this. But look at where I am, you know, and I would personally choose an entrepreneur over a corporate person. And it's no slight to the corporate people. They're two different mindsets. But I find that the entrepreneur, if they don't know how, they're very resourceful. And I think that that's the key to the success is, you know, so Jason, over the last year, I've done multiple construction projects. In fact, yesterday I had a gentleman ask me, who's a real estate developer, are you a contractor? And I'm like, I'm not. He's like, how do you know how to read all these drawings? I was like, you know, I don't know. One day came that I had to learn how to read electrical drawings and plumbing drawings, and I learned right there on the spot because I thought I was being cheated. And so I had to learn right there on the spot. Well, what does this mean? What does that mean? And I looked up on Google and YouTube and I started learning how to read these construction drawings. And now I'm running some construction projects for our real estate company uh, pretty seamlessly without the use of a contractor. I'm subcontracting it all. And is it hard work? Yeah, of course. You know, is it is it financially, um, you know, expending a lot uh, of energy and money? Yes, of course but I'm still saving on the 20% markup to a, another contractor. I'm just doing it myself. Be resourceful. Well, and I, I love, I love that. And I love that soundbite. And I think, uh, I think my marketing team after the, after the airing of this episode is probably going to pull out what you just said about the mindset of an entrepreneur, because if I'm given a choice of bringing somebody onto a team, it's the entrepreneurial mindset that I'm looking for because, and again, like you said, no slight to the corporate, but that's just a different mindset. I think what separates entrepreneurs, and I think you were alluding to this, is you, you call it problem solving, looking for those things. I call it innovation. You know, it's innovation and willing to take risk. If you're willing to take the risk and you're willing to innovate, think, way, think of new ways to make things happen, you're going to be wildly successful. And success isn't a destination. You know, success, is, success grows. You accomplish success, you go to the next one. And I love how you answered my question, do you consider yourself successful? And, and you know, half the time somebody will say, yes, I'm successful. Other times, eh, they'll beat around the bush. But everybody on this show is super successful in some way or another because success, dictionary definition, it's achieving the results you wanted. So if you wanted to achieve X and you achieved X, you're successful. That's right. And when, whatever that may be, I think that in our American culture, we tend to tie it to financial. But ultimately, if you're you know, an amazing athlete and you go and compete in marathons or triathlons or whatever it may be, you're successful in your own right. If you're a drummer, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great book called The Tipping Point. And he says that a drummer who practices 10,000 or more hours is an expert. A basketball player is an expert. And that passion, when you look at NBA players that are practicing for that dream to go to the NBA, they're up early in the morning chasing this dream. Musicians, you and I see it all the time out on Broadway here in Nashville, chasing the dream of becoming a big star. They're doing what other people are not doing to become successful. And we're not islands. We have good mentors along the way. We have good people that we surround ourselves with, which is another form and function of becoming an entrepreneur, right? So we can be wise and learn from other people's mistakes rather than keep falling in the holes we keep falling in. Yeah. And sometimes we choose not to listen to them and we fall anyway. But those people are also the strength that fuel us in our journeys as well. Yeah, I love, I love, I hear your passion. And, and, I, and I, I think that the listeners are also hearing that. And if you're watching on YouTube, you're seeing, you, you're animated. You could say, like, I, you're, you could tell you're excited about this. One thing Ali has never been, and the whole time I've ever known you, is kind of like slumped over in the chair, not engaged. Like, you, you can tell that you're engaged. And, and, and people like you are attractive. Like, you're, people want, we're magnetized to people like you. We want to be around people like Go you. Go on, so, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so this passion is obviously part of the keys. So when I talk about keys to success, the five keys, I think the number one is passion. But I, but there's a caveat to that. Yeah, I, I believe, and I want to see what you think. And I know because we haven't had this conversation. Sure. But passion is two-sided. Number one, there's this excitement and just exuberance and joy and just deep connection 
like you have with training dogs, like that is obviously a passion of yours has been since college all the way through today. And much of your wealth and your success is dedicated and can be tied back to that passion. But passion, if you look at the etymology of the word, like where it came from, it actually means willing to endure or willing to suffer. So when you think about in terms of the passion of the Christ, which we as Christians talk about, that's what Jesus did on the way to the cross. We call that whole thing the passion of the Christ. He wasn't excited. That was There was nothing exciting about that or joyful or jubilant or exuberant. What it was is he was willing to do it for a greater cause. And I sense that in your story too, that there are times you've had to endure and to suffer and, and that those valleys and peaks have gone up and down and you've fallen in holes had you not been able to be passionate and push through that and endure, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Do you have a story you could share with about that? Yeah, I think that. So my background, we grew up in a, in a pretty poor family, uh, 946 square foot, kind of like apartment slash townhome, four of us, one restroom, me and my brother shared a room. Obviously, mom and dad were, there's a restroom in between us, mom and dad were next door, um, and uh, heavily educated family, uh, dad had a master's degree, but his mindset was always, I can't afford it, I can't afford it. And I know it's cliche and it's Robert Kiyosaki, but I always remember being you know, a kid and being like, oh, we just can't afford it, but why can't we? It was always a why, why can't we? And you know, when you get to eating sardines and rice three days a week and you wanna change, but you really can't, um, that's the, that's the true story. It, it, is, uh, it is how do I get better and how do I work harder? And so I think that there's some of that was a little bit innate. But when you talk about the suffering, it doesn't come easy. And, you know, Jim Rohn said it best. Success is never owned. It is merely rented. And the rent is due every day. And I play that in my mind every single day. There's always going to be a better dog trainer. There's always going to be a, uh, a better training uh, style. There's always, but what can make you better? You know, do you have your processes down? Do you have great people? Are you taking care of your people? Do you have a great facility? Are you taking care of your clients? Are you giving back to your community? Are you stewarding the, the gift that God gave you? People think it's easy, and I'm sure you've heard it lots of times too, where people say, well, it must be nice, must be nice. And I'm like, it is. I'm not going <laughs> to apologize to you for my successes. Because I'm up at 3.30 in the morning learning to fly a plane while you're still sleeping because you don't want to. Before I go into work, I'm up. You know, every single morning I'm doing it. And, and I think that's where it gets lost. Well, how do you sleep? I sleep four and a half hours because that's what it takes. You know, that way at five o'clock I can cut everything off and I can go be a husband and dad. So I will sacrifice my sleep so at the end of the day, I can go be with my family, but during the day, it's full on. And so people, I hear it all the time. I work 40 hours a week, I work 45 hours a week, and I just think, I don't even have a time concept. It's just, what does it take to be done, and let's get it done. You said it, it is not enjoyable. Well, it wouldn't be suffering if it was fun, right? It, we've got to push through. And if you're not willing to push through, if you're not willing to suffer, you might as well just go get a nine to five, go get a job somewhere, be a corporate person, be a W2 employee. Entrepreneurship is not for you. If you're not willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do, then you are never gonna make it. And Ali, you're a walking example of that. Now, I have to get a little bit more sleep than you. I've learned that my my minimum is six. If I get six, I'm good. I can go less than six a couple of days and then I start feeling it. But I think all of us need to understand that sleep is there is it's necessary and it's a and it's also a luxury that's right if you're if you're dipping too much into the luxury side of that your entrepreneurial journey is going to suffer and your success is at the end of that suffer point it's at the end of that and i i, I use this example i have for years of coaching when i started my coaching company i was telling people entrepreneurs have this invisible horizontal line in their life that they are the they only they can see it and if you drop below the line you're out of business, you're bankrupt. But you're the only person that knows how close you are to that line at any time. And there are days when you're a mile above it and there are days you're a centimeter above it. But as long as you don't go below it, and that's what passion, I think that's the key. And every successful entrepreneur I've talked to starts, I'm willing to push through. Because if you just wanna do something you're passionate about, that's BS, man. It ain't just passion and being happy. You gotta be willing to suffer. Well, you think about suffering, that the 
whole definition of an entrepreneur is somebody who takes on financial risk, emotional risk, you know, time. It's all risk. I had a good friend of mine who is, uh, he was my roommate in college. He's recently become the CEO of a, uh, of a pretty large company here in Nashville and touted himself as an entrepreneur because within that company, he's worked his way up to the CEO. And while he had a lot of entrepreneurial traits, I would argue that he wasn't an entrepreneur because a true entrepreneur is going to put it all out online. I'm either going to win or I'm not. It's going to be sink or swim. And it's your own money or it's the bank's money that you've hedged for yourself or whatever it may be. And it's, I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it happen. And that gamble is so significant and it's so taxing emotionally um, on your family, on your friends, everybody around you, that you are leveraging everything you have, every characteristic of leadership and skill and all these things to make that happen. And that's what really makes an entrepreneur. And then someone who doesn't understand that sees you drive up in your Ferrari and go, well, it must be nice. He's a lucky guy. No, luck comes to those who work hard. You know, the It's in the Bible. Guy. That's right. It's in the Bible. Follow the Bible. <laughs> All right. So the second key to success, Ali, that I talk about, passion being the first one, and I think it's also the most important, as we've just illustrated, that suffering, endurance, pushing through, risk, innovation, all those things relate to passion. The second one is being at the right place at the right time. And I can't think of a single entrepreneur, famous or, or infamous, or you know nobody knows about him, who reached any level of success worth talking about, who can't point to, I was at the right place at the right time. And you might think, that's saying, well, I was lucky. No, 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 no. The, the, the luck comes to those who work hard. I'm in the right place because I put myself in the right place. What do you think about you? Like, what's your right place, right time moment and your success story? You know, I think that uh, that's a really interesting question because I think a lot of that was the buildup to be in the right place at the right time. Yep. Right? It was the hard work that you did ahead of time to get to that point. And then all of a sudden you were in the right place at the right time. So when I got into training dogs uh, back in college, there was still this old stigma, well, that's just a dog. People were leaving their dogs outside to sleep. It was, it was just kind of that, that time period where it's such a juxtaposition in, in the paradigm shift now where people are like sleeping in bed with dogs. It's so, so opposite of the time frame that I, I started in. And I remember, well, you can't make a living off this or don't try to get into that. Uh, even... You know, my Middle Eastern background, uh, I'm Persian. In the Persian community here, I would walk up to somebody and they'd be like, oh, what do you do for a living? I'm like, dog trainer. And they would just walk away. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Nowadays, it still happens. They walk up to me, what do you do? It's just such a superficial conversation anyway, right? Like, yeah. they don't talk about, what do you enjoy doing for a living? Do you have kids? They, they, they say, what do you do for a living? You know, dog trainer. Oh, okay. That's cool. And then they go find a financial advisor or some physician or something to go talk to, right? <laughs> they don't know the rest of the story. They don't know the journey, you know, until the end where they see you driving off in a fancy car or something. The third P that I talk about, Ali, is, is people, knowing the right people. So just kind of like right time, right place, there's also these right people in your life. And every successful entrepreneur that I've interviewed on this show and outside of this show, they can typically point specifically to a person or they can allude to, well, these people had influence. And they could be negative influences or positive influences. But there's usually a right person in the life or people in the life that push you. It could be a family member, be a, a business associate, an enemy, a college roommate. It could be anybody. Who, who was it for you? Who got you, helped push you in this direction? Uh, you know, being an entrepreneur in, in the push was, was probably more so the, the background I grew up with. I would argue that... For me, I just never wanted to go back to sardines and rice again. And I never have. If you, if you stuck the fanciest, the standard sardine in front of me right now that was like laced with gold, I wouldn't eat it. I'd say, go give me something I'm else. I'm over it. Right? I, I just, I can't do it. I think that was a lot of the drive. Now, along the way, though, I've had some pretty incredible mentors. Uh, one of them is well-known here. She owned a company called Custom Packaging, actually out close to where you live, um, except in the Lebanon area, huge factory. Uh, her and her husband, Jackie and Chuck Cowden, uh, have been really good mentors to me over the years. Uh, they owned basically two corrugated box manufacturing plants in the United States. And 
and um, they subsequently had purchased a few protection dogs from us, and, and we grew in a strong relationship. Another really good friend of mine, his name is Matt Gelfand. He started a cool company called Tail Tracks, but what people knew him for was uh, there are these barriers outside of military bases that used to be concrete pylons. He invented a net capture system, so if a car is breaching a military base, it shoots up and it captures the vehicle. I've seen that. And he sold it for $100 million to Smith & Wesson. You know, and so, uh, but very down-to-earth guy, lives in a modest house in Brentwood, drives a Dodge truck, and you would never know what he's accomplished, even though he's done, you know, several companies. So there, there are these people along the way that have influenced a lot of my beliefs. I've gone to them for advice, and I think that that's going to be critical as you grow and you grow in wealth, that surrounding yourself with, Birds of a feather are going to take you to those next levels. And I fully, fully believe in the truism that you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And so if you're hanging out with people who are spending all their time at the office or in the basement playing video games or they're not doing anything like getting up at 3.30 and going to learn how to fly a plane or going to the gym or reading books or going to conferences, you're probably going to be average with them. You want to be the one that drags your group up, not drags your group down. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, you're only as successful as your five best friends. That's, that's right. That, that goes to your point. I would love to meet uh, meet the guy because I saw a YouTube video about that net, and I, I didn't remember the name of the company, but I remember seeing the video of the net and the truck, this truck driving into the net. I thought it was a big truck and drove into the net and it, it captured it. So that's a, it's a very interesting. Yeah, what, one, and one more thing on that. I got to tell you, so my mom is one of my biggest heroes. So I lost my dad when I was 17. It was 10 days before I was going to graduate high school. And my mom really stepped up to the plate. She was working three jobs at the time. I was about to go off to college. Uh, but I can't imagine any stronger of an individual to support whatever I did than my mom. You know, even being a dog trainer. You know, I had this trajectory. I ran an advertising company for five years. I worked at AXA, which at the time, AXA had done 19 trillion. They were larger than Exxon. And I just wanted to go to work with dogs. But I was taking monies that I was making in, in the financial industry and I was dumping into Nashville Canine to build it up. And my mom was the biggest supporter of me, biggest cheerleader I had the whole time. And she still is to this day. So uh, that influence of all influences, probably the most major and and it's not even measurable yeah uh, but i can't thank her enough for for all that she did for me just being a cheerleader in my corner well that's 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 a touching uh touching tribute to your mom and i know that many of the people that sit across this table for me behind the microphone have similar stories about mom or dad or uncle or grandfather or somebody in their life but i, I i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you something i think that you might not have thought about and i know you mentioned it but I don't know if you thought about it in terms of how it pushed you towards success. Right people, right time, right place, all these things. Who was, you don't have to tell us their names, but do you remember who the first person was that when you were training dogs for free that said, I want to take you to dinner? You remember that person? Because it sounds to me, based on your story, that that was when a light bulb went up. Hey, I can actually make money. So that person that you might not even remember who it was has a lot to do with where you are today because they asked you to take you to dinner, right? Yeah, I guess that could have been the, the catalyst or the tipping point. He was a Nashville police officer. Yeah, so, so, so you can, funny. And you could be that person for somebody, the people listening, is that you don't know how big of an influence you can have. So when that Nashville police officer said, hey, Ali, man, I appreciate you taking care of my dog. Let me, let me take you to get dinner. And he took you to dinner. And at that moment, your life changed. You didn't even realize it. Like, holy crap, I'm... I, I'm going to be a dog trainer. I'm, I'm not just going to be a dog trainer. I'm going to be a multimillionaire dog trainer. I'm going to train some amazing dogs all over the world. Now, what prepared you for this, and that's the fourth P is preparation. What prepared you for this was those days in college, right? Am I missing something like to prepare you for the success you experience today is the fact that you got up early when your college roommates were hung over and sleeping it, in, sleeping it off and you got out and did it. Is there other preparation that we've missed in your story, like how you got prepared to be successful? I think that every opportunity I could find, I remember I had an advertising class in, in college and there was a conference coming and I literally skipped two days of school to go to this advertising conference. And it taught me so much in that conference about how to market to people, how to, how to just really hone in on your demographic. It was the best two days I took off school ever. I learned so much from that. 
And I think that was one. And then the second one is I got fired. I got fired from my financial job because I was spending so much time with dogs. Like my brain wasn't even into it. I was closing deals and things, but they knew that something, you know, I wasn't laser focused in their corporate company once. And they, they pulled me in the conference room and gently fired me. And that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I'll tell you. I love it. I love it when people who, who got fired, because that's part of my story, man. Like, I, yeah. I don't want to waste your interview on my story, but that's part of my story, too. So I got fired. Now, it was a little different than what you did, but I was an accidental entrepreneur. I was like, okay, I got to do something else. So I love that you said that. Yeah. So then it was like, I think I could do these dogs full time. Let's see. You know, this journey is, is so unique, Jason. When I met my wife, I had eight dogs in crates in a 1,500-square-foot townhouse in West Nashville, right? So when I met her, we're dating. I said, hey, do you like dogs? She's like, yeah, I love dogs. I was like, do you really like dogs? <laughs> this like, is, that's a prerequisite. Yeah, she's like, I, I mean, I think. So, like, I take her upstairs. I open the door to this room. There's eight dogs in crates. And she's like, oh, my God, you're a hoarder. And I'm like, no, 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 I have this dog business. And she's like, she's, she's kind of standoffish, and she's listening to me reluctantly. Well, within about a year, I move into a house. I take this garage. I put an AC unit in the window. I build that up to about 15 dogs. You know, in about a year and a half, we outgrow that. I buy this house in Green Hills. I gut the garage. I build in kennels, right? Not even zoned appropriately for this. I build in kennels. And we're getting up to like 30, 35 dogs a month, right? I mean, we're talking about 360 dogs a year. And I'm like, okay, I need to buy a farm. So then I buy this farm and we move out to Franklin. It's on a little over seven acres, which we still have. And that's where we're doing the working dogs from. So we buy this farm, um, take the barn, dump a ton of money in the barn. We make it like a legit building, it has central AC, acoustically insulate the walls. Uh, and we start building all these partnerships. We start building partnerships with DuPont Registry, these national magazines, start building relationships with Rolls-Royce of Nashville, things like that, because we're all sharing the same clients. And that journey, people think, is easy. Well, when I was back living in the house and the kennels are directly under my house and a dog is pooping at 2 o'clock in the morning and my wife is forcing me out of the bed to go clean it up, it's real. When you're hosing down something at 2.30 in the morning, it's real. You're taking crates outside, and it's literally two degrees outside, and you're disinfecting kennels because you don't have any more. Those are real stories. Those are, that's the real journey that people, people don't see that. And I think those are the moments that are in the preparation that gets you to being like, I can do anything. I did that. I can do anything. I love it that. just takes discipline. Discipline is probably the most overlooked thing, okay? When I was, when I was younger uh, in high school, I competed at a pretty high level in, in martial arts um, in, in Taekwondo, and I actually went to University of Tennessee on Taekwondo scholarship. Well, one of the things that the martial arts teaches you that everybody knows is discipline. But with discipline, you can do whatever you want. You want to go be a doctor, all it takes is discipline. You want to go be an aviator, all it takes is discipline. And I think that what you'll find with most entrepreneurs is that it's not just a linear discipline into one business. They're, they're disciplined in the way they eat. They're disciplined in their lifestyle. They, they are active and they're working out every day. They're, there's a lot of these disciplines that they accomplish for themselves, for their own personal wins. And that's what leads them to that success. I was just actually filming a video recently about that concept of discipline because uh, when I turned 46 this year, I, I decided to put a word, do a word of the year. And never, I'd never done that before. And the word that I chose was discipline. And the reason I chose that word is because I'd recently become aware of this law called the law of hindrance. And I don't want to take a lot of time to explain that. You can, you can follow me at my, at my website for more of that information. But the law of hindrance says if you are not succeeding the way you want to succeed, it's one of two things, lack of trust, lack of discipline. That's it. You can boil everything down to why am I not, why is this not working? It's either lack of trust, it could be trust in yourself, trust in, trust in others, trust in the process, whatever it is, or lack of discipline. And I love that you said that because I think discipline is overrated. So in my 46th year on this planet, I'm trying to be more disciplined with the way I manage money, the way I eat, the way I manage my schedule, the way I manage relationships, trying to be 
more discipline. So I'm, I'm really, really glad that you said that. I want to talk about the fifth P and the fifth P is plan. So you got passion, place, people, preparation, plan being the fifth one. And, and a lot of times when I say that, I'll let people think, well, you're talking about writing a business plan. Oh, I've got a business plan. No, I'm not talking about writing a business plan. That's that may or may not be successful for you. That's typically not an indicator of success, especially financial success. But a plan is your strategy to obtain and deploy resources required to make whatever you're doing happen. Sure. So you <laughs> living in this 1500 square foot, uh, you know, apartment, what is it? Apartment or townhouse? Or? Yeah, it's kind of an apartment slash townhouse. Yeah. <laughs> so you're living in that. And so you figured out, okay, I'm going to turn the upstairs into a kennel. And then you move to another house and garage it to a kennel. It sounds to me like your plant, you bootstrapped all this and you bootstrapped your way through it. And now your success is tremendously more than any of that bootstrapping. Am I reading that right? Yeah. I never took on any debt. I always, uh, basically hustled and worked hard to save all of that money and what minimum I needed to live on ultimately. And then I took that and I dumped uh, the remaining monies that I had, the bigger pool, into the business. So how do I build a brand? How do I build a nice website? How do I build uh, what I'm looking for? I always dressed appropriately. I was a one-man show in a uniform. I, I had a shirt tucked in a pants all the time. And people think that, you know, hey, uniforms aren't that important. The perception is important. Even though I was a one-guy person, it made me look like a bigger organization. I, I would save up all my money to pay for a, a wrap on a car, you know, because that made us look a lot bigger. Even though it was just me driving around this one car that had a car wrap on it, that I would get out in a uniform and people were like, that must be one of the employees. And those are the things that it took to build and build and build. But... A grassroots or organic growth is feasible if you have an engine driving it, right? So I was working hard in another job, actually two jobs because I was in law enforcement too, to be able to fund my passion to build this business to where it was. And then eventually when I got the business going, then I would take those monies and keep evolving it. And so going with the planning stages, it's like, well, what parts do you plan out for? Well, you know that if you take on, in my case, more business, you need more employees to handle that workload. And employees, the first employee I hired was scary. It's like, oh my God, I'm responsible for another livelihood, right? And then you have insurances, right? In this country, we're over-insuranced, but you got to allocate those appropriate monies for, for insurance because we're in a litigious society. And then, you know, all the things that you need. And so grassroots organic growth also taught me that you could be more profitable. So if you have no debt, you're more profitable. Yeah, well, that's that debt takes right out of the profit. That's where it's coming from. So, so passion, place, people, preparation, plan. Your story illustrates that all five of those things were part of your story to success. And I know we didn't get into a ton of the finer details of what that success looks like, but I think the listeners and I can both understand that Ali Hamyari has built a phenomenally successful business and life for you and your wife and your kids and, and, and your employees and everybody else. And I could tell you that my dog, his name is Buddy. My dog has been around for, I guess he's about 12 years old and he's starting to, starting to get gray around the snout and ears and stuff. And I, and we love him to death. And I know I've already talked to my wife. I'm like, you know, at some point we're going to lose Buddy. Buddy's going to pass away. And we're going to be very sad. But I've already made a decision that my next dog, I'm going to have a fully trained. Because Buddy's smart and nice and stuff, but he's not fully trained. But I want to have one like you, like what you do. So you and I are going to be talking. Yeah, that's great. Hopefully not soon because I love Buddy and I don't want Buddy to go anywhere. Buddy's my, um, we live on a small farm in Gallatin and, Every time we come home, like he meets us in the driveway, and as soon as he sees us, he does this loop around the around the house, like he's guard. And we never taught him to do that, yeah, but he's like, natural. yeah, he's natural at doing it. But we, I want to get one. So for those that are listening, remember you can go to coachfido.com/root and you get ten percent off that Coach Fido. You can get one of those ten pack or five packages at ten percent off. So Ali, is there anything else? you would like to say like there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are barely like barely entrepreneurs entrepreneurs there are some that are very seasoned very successful but what would you say to those first first stage guys that are girls that are out there like i'm trying to get started what's your pieces of advice you give them at the beginning i think that at the moment that you feel like you're about to give up if you push through it that's when you're going to see success 
right? You just got to weather through that storm to see the su success and just keep listening to that voice in your head. I always say it's the Holy Spirit talking, but you listen to that voice and you keep pushing on, uh, you'll do great. Remember, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I think hard work is, is underrated nowadays. People mix, I need a quality of life thing. I need this, I need that. You can get there, but you got to put in the time. Yeah, I love that. I right? love that. So is there a way that you want to uh, have listeners be able to get in touch with you? How would they find you in this big, amazing world that we live in? Yeah, go to Nashville, letter K, number nine, dot com, NashvilleK9.com. Go to CoachFido.com. Uh, you guys can uh, look us up. We're a pretty big outfit here in Tennessee. Our main facility for consumer pets is over 15,000 square feet. We have a mini city inside of our building, Jason. We have our city hall. We have, it, it's awesome. If you've ever seen Junior Achievement, it's, uh, yeah, we built it. Kind of, we, we took a lot of those ideas and inspirations and we built out this mini town for dogs so we can start imprinting them on different textures of buildings and things like that. It's the neatest place. I mean, we have a coffee bar inside there. We have our own beer brand, Nashville Canine Beer. It's in collaboration with Mill Creek Brewery. We've done some crazy out of the world things and uh, it's awesome. So go to NashvilleCanine.com. There's a cool virtual tour too for all the, all the listeners out there. And if you ever need anything, we're here to help. Well, Ali, this has been such a pleasure, man. Thank you. This is all mine. Every time we talk, we had, I don't know, it's been six or seven months ago. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. We had lunch. And uh, every time I sit down and talk with you, it's like there's another layer deep. I'm like, how, what, what, do you ever sleep? Is there any time <laughs> that you're not doing something? So thank you for being here. And to the listeners, there you have it. I mean, you, this concept, this road to success, the same keys unlock it for everybody. Now, everybody applies those keys differently. And for you, I don't know if you want to start a dog training business like Ali did or you want to start an ice cream shop. It doesn't matter what you want to do. But the keys to success are passion. you got to be passionate, willing to suffer, willing to push through, willing to endure. You've got to be at the right place at the right time. And that comes to people who work hard and get out there and get themselves in the right place at the right time. You're going to have a person in your life that's that that person that pushes you and like Ali didn't even think about the fact that maybe that Nashville police officer had more to do with his success than he's ever thought about before just because he said hey let me take you to dinner so you're somebody out there can be your person to help get you to success and then preparation all the time and effort that you have to learn the thing that you're going to do is worth it like I couldn't go into a biochemical engineering space right now I haven't prepared for that but if I wanted to do it I've got to put in the time I got to put in the hours I got to do it and you got to do it too and then finally that P for plan that last P plan do you have a strategy to obtain and deploy the financial resources that you're going to require to do your business? Ideas are a dime a dozen, man. The homeless person living under the bridge got great ideas. Ideas are worth nothing. It's can you execute it? Do you have a strategy to make this thing work? And that's why I put together this show, The Root of All Success, is because I want to help people just like you as an entrepreneur growing, how do I become successful? And you listen to stories like Ali's and all the other people that I've had on the show about how they built amazingly incredible successful companies. And these people are, like, like he was talking about his friend, you know, you see him living in a modest house driving a Dodge truck and you don't know they're worth a hundred million dollars. So it's not about just driving a Ferrari. It's not just about living in a 20,000 square foot home. Success sometimes is very and I think that if you work hard, you're going to see what that looks like too. Now, I have a question for you. Would you like to know what your chances are of succeeding? Would you like to know how can I be successful? Well, I've put something together called the five P's of success assessment. It's completely free. All you have to do is go to therealjasonduncan.com slash success, 17 question assessment. It'll test you against these five P's and tell you are you, are you, what's your probability of success is? Are you going to succeed? And sometimes the results come out and they say, yeah, your passion is so low here. You're probably not going to succeed. You need to pick something else. And other times it's like, dude, you're right on it. Keep going. So go to the real slash success. You could take that. It's a free assessment. The personalized report is emailed to you immediately upon completion of that assessment. And I'd be honored to go over that with you if you had questions, but that's not certainly not necessary. Now, the other thing that I want to talk about too, before we close out on the show today is this. I, part of my vision is I want to coach 
entrepreneurs to start businesses, a thousand businesses a year. And I want to see them because I believe that entrepreneurs like Ali and I talked about today, they change the world. There is something different about the innovation and the risks that they take that make our world better and worth living in. And so to that end, my vision is I want to coach entrepreneurs. Now I charge for coaching, of course, but what I'm, what I do as part of that vision is I do one free hour of coaching every single week with some entrepreneur somewhere in the world. You get me for free for one hour and I'm expensive normally. So you get that free hour and I will coach you. This is a real Jason Duncan coaching real entrepreneurs through real issues. And you can apply to get that one hour at the realjasonduncan.com slash free coaching. You just put in your name, your email, and what you want to be coached about. My team and I will review that. And if we feel like your story is compelling enough, we'll invite you for that one free hour. So that's therealjasonduncan.com slash free coaching. This is the Root of All Success. I'm the Real Jason Duncan. We'll be back again next week with another amazingly successful entrepreneur on how he or she became so successful. I'll see you then. And until then, remember, Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.